0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, coming up on this edition of The Intersection, first up, you'll hear from Olympic gold medalist David Bediah, who has won medals in diving in two Olympic Games. He has a strong testimony of faith in Christ, which is a priority for him. Also, with some insight on building a strong marriage, it's Robert Crosby who approaches the subject by highlighting a man's will and a woman's way, illustrating the differences between husbands and wives, which God will use to accomplish his purposes. Then actress Macy McLean, featured in a movie about a teenager who lost her life in the Columbine tragedy. That movie is now out on DVD and Macy has crafted a devotional book which incorporates her own life experiences and the inspiration she received playing Rachel Joy Scott in that film. And on this edition of The Intersection, around the time of the March for Life in Washington, D.C., I spoke with Melissa Oden, who is an abortion survivor and speaks out boldly on the sanctity of life. You'll hear how this discovery affected her, including motivating her to share that message. Finally, author and commentator Michael Brown joined me to discuss President Trump's order concerning refugees. He also shared some observations about responses he's seen. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. David Badaya is an Olympic diver who won two medals in the Rio Olympic Games, to add to the two that he won in London, including one gold medal. He's a young man that has not only developed his skill from the platform, but he has developed a strong walk with Christ and at attempts to let the Lord guide his priorities. He's written a book called Greater Than Gold, From Olympic Heartbreak to Ultimate Redemption. Prior to a conference in Montgomery, Alabama, at which he's a speaker, I spoke with David. Here is some material from that conversation.
1: Growing up, um, my relationship with God was kind of this, um, it was a one-way street. So it was anything that I wanted. Um, I would i would kind of dust uh, this accessory off the shelf and um, hope that if I was this good kid, then I would get it. And it really wasn't until my, my sophomore year of college where I realized, the things that I was placing in my life that I thought would bring me hope, God's creation, was was doing the exact opposite in my life. So, the the success, success that I had um, from a worldly standard, or the the popularity that I thought I had, the anything that I thought I could gain um, and put in my life instead of God, I thought would bring me happiness, and uh, come to an end of myself in my sophomore year to realize that that's not how it, it was supposed to happen. So. Um, it was, it was a fall night and I was broken, uh, as can be, um, contemplating suicide. So, um, the thoughts, uh, it spooked me, it terrified me. So I reached out to my coach and, um, I didn't, I didn't really know what exactly I was looking for, but he invited me over the next night and, and shared the gospel with me. And it was like, I've never heard of the gospel before. Um, I grew up in the church, but, um, I just thought it was something I, I was supposed to do. So I realized that there was freedom and hope uh from the the sin that the rebellion that I was um living in and um that's what uh my coach Adam Soldati revealed to me.
0: Actually in 2004 you had almost made the Olympic team in 2008 you were 19 years of age you qualified to go to Beijing from a diving standpoint from a standpoint of success and and really moving forward it looked like that you were a you know about to grasp it and then Beijing happened. So that also factored in, and, and we're going to be talking about how these converge. but uh, but tell me about what was going on in your heart, especially in light of your performance in Beijing.
1: Yeah, so I think just at a young age, when I was seven years old, I, that's what I wanted to do was go to the Olympic Games. And um, that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. And so I did everything that I could in my power to, to get myself there and, uh, diving seemed to be the the sport that I thought I could do it. And so I pursued that. Well, I, from a young age, I started devoting everything to diving. I I would sleep uh, as much as I could so I could be prepared for practice. I would study the sports. I would do the tedious things like stretching and uh, conditioning so that I'd put myself in the best position to succeed. And so my god was gold silver and bronze the podium at the olympic games and that's what i did i did everything that i could do to bow down to that and once i got to the olympic games and competed through, through two events um, i didn't get the the podium success that i thought i, I was going to and i just left broken um, you know i think you see it on tv all the time that you see the glamorous uh things that happen at the olympic Games, but. Little do people know that once those Olympic Village doors close, all these athletes devote so much time to the Olympic Games. To so most of them, don't don't have the success that they want, and when that's where their hope is, it, it's gonna it's gonna fall through. So that was me after the Olympic Games, um, just broken, extremely depressed, and not everything that I thought it was going to bring me.
0: So let's talk about now the convergence of your spiritual life, because as I understand it, what God did in your heart actually changed the way that you approached diving. Talk about that if
1: you would. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so immediately when um, I just started investigating God's Word and exactly what um, His Word said in my life, I hadn't really opened up the Bible before ever, before my, my sophomore year of college, and I just started to read more and more um, who God was and my stance towards God and what my problem was before God. And um, I started to see a character change in my life. And so everything, um, you know, obviously I can't obtain perfection, but um, everything that I thought I was perfect in, I realized that I wasn't. Uh, everything that I thought I was living for turned out to be hollow and turned out to be just for myself. And so that's when God really came in and, and showed me what my purpose was in life. And it wasn't for me to get the success that I thought I deserved from the practice that I was doing, but it was to make sure that I was doing it to be a visible representation of Him. And I, I started to learn that, um, you know, I didn't have the success for my own glory, but I can have the success to bring glory to God.
0: David Badaya here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website, Davidbediah B-O-U-D-I-A dot com. Well, the Intersection podcast continues with Robert Crosby, co-founder of Teeming Life with his wife, Pamela. In our recent conversation, he discussed some principles related to the book, which they co-wrote, called The Will of a Man and the Way of a Woman, Balancing and Blending Better Together. Here now is Robert Crosby.
2: The idea of The Will of a Man and the Way of a Woman really emerged in our marriage I, uh, you know, little by little in different ways, we just began to notice in our own marriage that I, I was often very oriented on uh, matters of the will, of uh, things that were volitional, uh, and that Pamela was very attuned to the way things were done. Uh, she certainly had more of a sensitivity to the emotional dynamics uh, of the relationship. Uh, so we, you know, early on we observed it, we sort of assume, well, maybe that's just us. Uh, the more we talk with other couples, we began to see it, you know, again and again. And uh, part of the way we like to put it is that men have a real desire to show strength within their marriage. Women have a real desire to show understanding in their marriage. Uh, One example, you know, I remember when my son was a teenager and, you know, he had done something that got him in trouble. Uh, And I told my wife, when that boy gets home, I'm going to have a talk with him. And she said, But what are you going to say? When are you going to say it? How are you going to say it? And I said, It doesn't matter. I just have to say it. So I was really focused on dealing with his will. She was much more carefully attuned to the way it would be done, to how it would be done. So we, we began to observe it. Uh, we connected with other couples on it. Uh, we began to teach on it and, you know, ultimately began to see some really beautiful parallels in Scripture. We often are very um, <clears throat> riveted on the will of God. Uh, Pamela and I work with a lot of university students, and many of them are asking what is God's will uh, when it comes to work, when it comes to who I marry, all that. So we're really riveted on the will of God. But I believe as you look at the Bible that there is more teaching on the ways of God than even the will of God. Uh, and that in reality, the will of God is primarily that we learn how to walk in his ways. Uh, Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on, on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and then your path will be made straight. You know, then the will of God will be worked out. So we we see that. But the more specific example uh, is the the moment where the, the angel Gabriel appeared appear to Mary and also to Joseph uh, to let them know that their lives and their marriage were really going to be the display. Uh, case for the entry of the Son of God. So the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, and you remember the story, Uh, you're going to bear the Christ child, and Mary says, but how? Uh, How will this happen? In essence, she's asking, what is the way that this will occur? And the angel patiently describes uh, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. This is going to be beyond you. The Spirit will overshadow you so that when this baby is born, everyone will know that it is born of God. And immediately Mary said, Be it unto me as you have said I am the Lord's servant. So when the angel took time to be understanding And to describe the way, Mary was fine. Then we looked over at the story with Joseph, and, you know, we're wondering again, what is the correlation? Well, for Joseph, uh, first of all, he had to be asleep. Uh, It was in a dream. So we joke a little, and we say, you know, that he he sort of had to be knocked out. And uh, he had this dream, and the angel said this. Mary will have a son, you will name him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. So part of what we see in the beauty of this is that God knows how to talk to a woman, and God knows how to talk to a man. And if you look at those instances, you could very easily see that God understood how to communicate in the language of the will of a man, and the way of a woman.
0: Robert Crosby here on The Intersection. The website address is teaminglife.com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. When you visit, you'll find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to, download, or share full conversations with recent guests here on The Intersection Podcast. Also, you can get subscribed to the podcast through that site and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs can be found. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Video content is accessible also. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Actress and author Macy McLean spoke with me recently. She plays the role of Rachel Joy Scott in the movie I'm Not Ashamed. She discussed the impact of playing Rachel on her own life and talked about the inspiration for her devotional book It's Worth It. The movie is available on DVD, Blu-ray, and digital HD now. Here is Macy McLean.
3: I'm Not Ashamed really is about uh, the life of Rachel Joy Scott. And uh, right before she died, uh, she got in a school shooting, and um, two boys held a gun up to her head, and they asked her if she still believed in God. And she said, you know, I do, and they killed her. And But, but really, I'm not ashamed. It does um, show that that's a huge part of Rachel's story because in the face of death, she didn't deny Christ, and um, because of that, she died. But really, I'm not ashamed focuses on her life. And the way that she made an impact, and her relationship with Jesus, and uh, really the process that it was, and even the struggle at times of her just trying to figure out, um, you know, why she why she was there, and how what does it look like to follow Jesus, and what does it look like to ch- like make an impact and um, make a difference in the world. And um, after her death, um, at her funeral, it was broadcasted on CNN and just countless people got up and told about how Rachel changed their life by the way she lived and by the way she loved them and reached out to them when no one else would. And so it's really just a, um, a beautiful picture of what it looks like to truly be the hands and feet of Jesus to people around us. And that's really how you change the world.
0: Well, you have written this devotional, as I mentioned earlier, called It's Worth It. Tell me how you made that decision to actually write it.
3: Yeah, a, a lot of it came, you know, out of the movie and out of the process uh, that it was to play Rachel. Um, but even before I heard about I'm Not Ashamed or had the audition for it, um, I was personally kind of in a dry season myself, and I, I really didn't know what to do. And for some reason, I felt like the Lord was telling me to start writing. And I didn't know why I'd never written anything before. I didn't consider myself a writer. <laughs> um, but so I started... And then after filming, I felt like the Lord really started shaping the messages and, and the the entries that I writ I wrote, and I continued to write. And a lot of it came out of the process of filming. I'm not ashamed, and I ended up having 21 days. And I don't know. My, my prayer was that it was just an encouragement to people um, that I'm walking the journey with you, and following Jesus isn't. It's not easy, and it's never. It's never going to be easy, but it's worth it.
0: Tell me as far as the the finished product, how did your work on the film and your discoveries about Rachel, how are those integrated into the devotional book?
3: Oh, they definitely are. Um, a lot of entries for sure come out of, I just share what it was like to step in her shoes and, and the things that Rachel taught me and even about how Rachel wanted to make an impact and how do we make an impact. And I talk about that, And um, it's definitely integrated throughout. Like you said, it's kind of, some of it's from my personal life and then some of it's from, hey, this is what I learned through I'm not ashamed and this is what I learned through stepping into Rachel's shoes. So it's kind of a a 50-50 deal just kind of integrated together um, from my life and her life. So hopefully fans of I'm not ashamed will will love to see the, especially love to see the, the parts about Rachel and the process of filming
0: what were maybe one or two things about your own life experience that you communicated in the devotional book
3: uh i think well definitely just different seasons that i've gone through and um you know even leading up to i'm not ashamed i went through a really rough time personally and um kind of just felt like i was on a roller coaster ride and um even with the lord i was just so confused all the time and but looking back, that season was preparation ground, really. That Lord was using in my heart to play Rachel, and um, I mean, just digging things out of me and totally preparing me in a way that I had I had no idea what for. But looking back, I can see what He was doing, and so that's one that's one thing I write about, just the season before playing Rachel, and um, just I guess other seasons too of. Um, you know, not knowing what's next in life, of trying to figure out, you know, what to do in life or what God's will is, you know, the big question um, for your life. Um, and just it's relatable, I think. I think a lot of people feel, you know, have different seasons in life and go through different times with the Lord, and you're just trying to figure out, you know, what is He doing or what is He trying to teach me. So I
0: hope people can relate to the different seasons that I've gone through. Macy McLean here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to com. The Intersection podcast continues now with author, commentator, and talk show host Michael Brown. In a recent conversation, he discussed content related to a piece he wrote on the Stream website devoted to President Trump's order on refugees and the response to it. From that conversation, this is Michael Brown.
4: In my view, this is more a reaction against Trump than a reaction on behalf of the refugees. This is a reaction from those who are dead set against Donald Trump. I I see this reaction as not so much a sudden outpouring of sympathy, say, for Muslim refugees from Libya and Somalia and, and Yemen and countries like that. I mean, honestly... How much does your average American even think about these countries or, or their refugees? Precious little, to be honest. I don't think it's suddenly this great outcrying of support for them. I'm sure there's some of it. I'm sure there is some concern about humanitarian issues. But then the media is going to take the worst-case scenario and present that as if it's the norm. The media is not really going to look at the heart and soul of the executive order, which, which is really not that harsh at all and does make sense. It was, it was uh, rolled out very poorly, so that made everything look all the worse. And then you did have some worst case scenario kind of things happen that the media could focus on. But the, the large picture, I see this as yet a continuation of the protests against Donald Trump, uh, a continuation of the, of the caricaturing of him in the most negative ways. And that's the first thing that really bothers me about this, that although it's under the guise of great concern for Muslim refugees from these countries, it's more an angry response to Donald Trump. If if it was just an angry response to him and there was no feigning of outrage over refugees by so many people, that would be one thing. But that, that concerns me on the large level. But we have to recognize, though, that on a certain level, Donald Trump made his bed the way he campaigned. The the things that he did you know even the, the attacks on the other candidates and the attacks on heidi cruz and the different things that that painted him in the worst perspective so now his critics and enemies have all this fuel for their fire uh, someone had made the comment during the campaign that trump's supporters take him seriously but not literally his critics take him literally but not seriously. And I think we're seeing that played out in the protests right now. If you have people that are on a plane coming over here and then they, they get sent back, where are they getting sent back to? Where are they going? That could be yeah. an absolute uh, tragic situation during the, the, the boat people crisis in the late seventies and early eighties with the, the fall of Vietnam, when many South Vietnamese fled the country. Many died at sea trying to get out of the country. And then they were living in refugee camps, some for years. Uh, I was active in a church then that sponsored refugees and they came and lived in our home. So our house was filled with refugees from, from Vietnam, couples, babies, singles, for four or five years. And almost every family in the church, if we just had a couch or a bed, we did it. And I remember when we we'd be at the airport to pick up the refugees that had come in, And there was this tremendous excitement, you know, and they didn't speak English and you're taking them in your home. And, you know, obviously you care about these people and you begin to hear about their plight and the the suffering and the hardship. So if they're if they're going back to a situation where temporarily they're in a refugee camp again, okay, that's bad. There's a lot of hardship. But if they're safe, they're not going to be killed or attacked there. Okay, it's temporary. Let's make it as quick as we can and move forward. But if they're just going back into their own country and it's not a safe zone, uh, if they're going into a place, say, even Christians are often not safe in, in refugee camps with other Muslims, then we've got to work on this as quickly as we can. And, and, yes, if we have all the evidence that someone has been a Christian persecuted in their country and there's no possibility that they're, they're Muslim or they're a terrorist, then let's fast-track them however we can. And and so the government's put up a big temporary stop sign, let's pray and work with the government Mm -hmm. as best as we can, work with Christian Relief Agency to say, hey, can we fast-track these people to get them here? And I I think that will alleviate some of the legitimate humanitarian concern in the midst of this crisis. So it's it's multifaceted. It's not just I'm for Trump, I'm against Trump, it's multifaceted, and we, as Christians, We need to be a voice that stands out from the other voices.
0: Michael Brown here on The Intersection. The Stream can be found at thestream.org. His website is askdrbrown.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Melissa Oden, founder of the Abortion Survivors Network. She discussed some aspects of her story, having survived an abortion attempt, and the response she had upon learning that about herself. She's the author of a book called You Carried Me, a daughter's memoir, This is Melissa Oden now.
5: I would summarize it as, you know, a secret forced abortion that that no one intended for anyone else to find out, but that God clearly wanted the world to know about. And for a child who was not supposed to ever live and be known, you know, God wanted me to be known through his story. And I think the words that come to mind the most for me, though, Bob, are that, you know what, man intends for evil, God intends for good. And um, I see that, I see that throughout my life and what's happening with my biological mother. Um, it's, it's incredible, and I, I want everybody to have that same opportunity to see the good done in their lives too.
0: Well, let's talk just a bit about the spiritual implications, as you mentioned that that God was involved in this overall process. Talk about your own personal faith and how that really influenced your actions.
5: Absolutely. Yeah, I would not do what I do if it wasn't for God. Um I think sometimes people again kind of look from the outside and and certainly can be very critical and say, "Oh, she, you know, she's testified before Congress and she's done this and she's done that." And and I always have to tell people I I don't go into any of that without praying about it first. And you know, if the Lord leads me there, I will go there even if even if I'm scared. And, and so that's, that's actually the story of my life. You know, the Lord leads her and, and she goes. Um, so the, my faith is my foundation and my faith is also what, what grounds me in this. It's not easy to live the life of an abortion survivor out loud in public. Um, but truly, I mean, it is the grace of God that sustains me. And I also know the people, the prayers of people around the world who, who pray for me um, to continue to be a witness.
0: Melissa, let's talk about the formation of this Survivors Network. How, how was it founded? And as you've had the opportunity to interact with other abortion survivors, what have you learned?
5: Yeah, it was, it was a surprising thing for me. I spent many years of my life feeling very alone and that there must not be anybody else like me, because I had never heard of anybody. And when I found out about Gianna Jessen, that changed my life to know that even one person could relate to me. And when I started speaking publicly about 10 years ago, you know, one by one, people would start contacting me and saying, ah, I'm a survivor too. And I always thought I was the only one. And so, you know, I really felt like I was being called to, to form a group that would provide support to other survivors. And so that is you know the primary purpose of the Abortion Survivors Network. We we provide support behind the scenes to survivors, whether it's you know connecting them with other survivors, allowing them to get involved in their local community or maybe you know in in the nation um, by sharing their story however they want to do that, linking them up with uh, mental health resources or counseling support uh, because a lot of a lot of therapists and counselors really don't know, aren't equipped on how to work with survivors. That's my background is in therapy. So um, it's important to me that, that survivors receive the kind of support that they need. And you know, the other piece of the Abortion Survivors Network is that we, we really do serve the, the purpose of saying to the public, you know, abortions can fail. And, and this is what it looks like. We are your neighbor and we're your coworker, you're our, your friend, your family member you may not know that somebody is a survivor, and I think that's powerful for people in the world to recognize that.
0: What would you want people to take away from the book you carried me?
5: Oh, boy, there's so much I want them to take away. I want them to take away, of course, that that abortion affects so many people's lives. You know, the children, the mothers, the fathers, the extended family members, doctors and nurses, clinic workers, the list goes on and on, Right so all of us are affected by abortion we can't say that it's it's not something that we need to to talk about or pay attention to and i also want people to you know if they've been impacted by abortion i want this book to to allow them the opportunity to heal maybe have a conversation that they've never had before and i also hope that it strengthens their faith you know god has performed so many amazing miracles in my life but it's not only my life that he performs them and truly they're happening in everyone's lives every single day. It just may not look the way that you wanted it to, or you expected it to, um, but it's still being done. And so I hope people's eyes are open to that too. After reading the book,
0: Melissa Oden here on the intersection. Her website is Melissa Well, that just about wraps up this edition of the intersection podcast, the weekly production of the meeting house. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Through that site, you'll find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand. Also, you can get subscribed to the Intersection podcast. You can also listen to or download a number of editions of the podcast. Plus, there are two blogs. One is The Three, Three Stories of Relevance to the Christian Community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page, Video content is accessible also. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.